Okay, welcome back everybody to the Real World Podcast. This is another edition of the Tape Crusaders. My name is Matt Waters. I am your main host and I'm the first one that talks normally. But we all know why we're here. To hear the opinions of the incomparable Mike Thomas from across the Atlantic, straight out of the US of A. Mike, how are you? I'm okay. I'm tired. He's tired, like America generally. Yeah, things keep happening and Mm. they're... All awful. There has been a relentless uh, onslaught of things happening lately. There's like legit Nazis in uh, the cabinet of the United States now, which is kind of cool. Yeah, there are. At least in the senior White House uh, staff, maybe not the cabinet yet. I'd have to verify Mm. the the amount of Nazis in the cabinet. Okay. Uh, I will ask you every every edition of this to confirm how many Nazis you have found in the cabinet. Uh, we'll make Nazis. It. Yeah. And then I'll do my Brad Pitt Nazis impression. <laughs> and then we'll move on through the use of humor. Yeah, there'll be like a jingle for it every time. We'll be like, and now Mike with Nazi Watch. And then we'll go to you. Bam, ba, down, bam, something like that. Still just one, Matt. <laughs> Still just one. Okay, back to you. Small talk achieved. Let's talk Batman. There's a little film called The Dark Knight. It's quite popular. Don't know if you've heard of it. It made a bit of a splash at it, one point. Or it no. did slightly. I claimed, largely, to pull headlines in the description, uh, that we declared Batman Begins to be better than The Dark Knight, if only slightly. I know that isn't actually fully representative of our shared opinion, uh, as you've called it a 1A, 1B scenario. Uh, I'm going to stick with it after my rewatch. I will stress again, I only it's only slightly. I'm not saying one is good and one is bad. But yeah, th- that's my, my hot take to start off with is that while the dark knight has higher highs batman begins as a more focused complete picture what you got hit me back i think it's it's, two films are very hard to compare because i think they're telling such different stories with some similar ideas about justice and all that but uh largely it feels like two very very different stories um one feels i mean like you said one is definitely more focused does that focus make it inherently better? I don't know. But uh, I think regardless of whether which one is better or not, which is somewhat of a debate that's not even entirely needed. No. <laughs> um, I think what's pretty unclear is based on the vision established in Batman Begins, this is a more than worthy follow-up to that in a way that few sequels have ever been probably. I mean, when you think about sequels, uh this feels like a genuine part two in the story of Batman. It feels like a genuine part two of a larger story, as opposed to, let's say, an Iron Man 2 or a Spider-Man 2 or the Amazing Spider-Man 2. This feels much more Empire, Two Towers, you know, Godfather Part 2 in the sense that this is just this is where the characters are now. Yeah, it's certainly... with, some wrinkle, with some wrinkles thrown in, obviously. Yeah, um, while feeling somewhat detached from it, and I was actually surprised by... How different it feels. I mean, it's the same people, or a lot of the same people. Yeah. It's it's the same director, but it it just it it does feel very separate from it. But while also building uh, naturally on what was set up, like it 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 narratively checks out. It feels very like a very natural progression of what was started and begins. There's a little bit of an uh, alien and aliens element to it. Kind of, I mean, I think in this one the tone is very similar. So, but like with Alien is a horror movie, and Aliens is not really a horror movie as much as an action movie. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's pretty. I mean, it's not like I'm breaking news there with that take. <laughs> but uh, 
It's a fairly basic opinion to have. But uh, there's Batman Begins feels far more like a hero's journey yes. origin story. Dark Knight feels kind of more like a crime story, uh, a heist story in a way, even though there's not really a heist going on. But High stakes, actually. There's, there is a heist going yes. on in the first uh, sort of five minutes, and that's quite, yes. quite a scene. The, the stories they tell are inherently different in so many ways um i mean of course that happens a lot with i mean the obviously the origins the the first story of a superhero franchise is always almost always going to be origin story unfortunately the second one sometimes can often feel like a retread and uh, even with non-superhero movies just in the like i think the biggest and most valid criticism of star trek after darkness is that it felt like kirk went through literally the exact same arc as he did in the first one just you know spoiler instead of a dead dad he had a dead captain <gasps> um, i know this feels like okay now we're taking the story the characters in new directions we're not just retreading what we did but we're also keeping the tone similar so it doesn't feel disconnected but we're it's i don't know it's kind of like the perfect i think it's the perfect balance in that way this is how you do a sequel if only more directors felt influenced by the Dark Knight in some way. <laughs> or felt they, influenced in a... You know, influenced by the right aspects. Yeah. Or were, you know, mentally capable of interpreting things. So, yeah, this is this is the Dark Knight. It's it's a big old sequel that cost $185 million, which, yeah, that's a lot of money. Uh, but Begins cost 150 so it's not... It's not the biggest jump in budget in the world, and it brought in $1 billion, making it the sixth highest grossing film in the US, only 27th worldwide, which is crazy to me, and by far the highest grossing film of 2008, which is when it came out. Something I've noticed with those worldwide trends is sometimes, it's usually, it often feels like it's the next film that does big business overseas. Well, what I had just read, actually, uh, was that at least at the time, I don't know update stats, but in terms of fastest to 200 million, it was that Spider-Man 3 and Dead Man's Chest, which I think is interesting because Pirates of the Caribbean and Spider-Man 2 were pretty beloved in a way that I don't even think Batman Begins was. I feel like Dark Knight was truly, uh, its financial success was truly a product of word of mouth and marketing in terms of that immediate financial success. Pirates of the Caribbean and Spider-Man uh, hit the public in a way that Batman Begins never did. The Dark Knight feels... Its success feels truly organic, is what I should say. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Massive phenomenon. Huge, huge, huge marketing campaign. Viral websites, a fictional newspaper, lots of teasers and trailers. A big scavenger hunt. Uh, they sent birthday cakes with phones inside them to multiple media outlets that caused uh, genuine bomb scares. So, you know, ill-conceived slightly, but spending the money, getting the word out there. Uh, and as I said last time, I remember seeing the trailer for the first time and, and thinking this is a big deal. I remember everyone I know freaking out. This is coming. The Joker's in it. Ah, everyone freak out. Uh, an enormous sort of event in film history. Yeah, it felt like, uh, it felt like a big deal. Did so to set the landscape a little bit. Um, so we've got Christopher Nolan coming back to direct. He was initially undecided, but the idea of doing a Joker story got him back. Uh, and while last time we had uh, David Goya, he I mean, he did write treatments for two sequels, uh, two begins, and he did write the first draft of The Dark Knight, and he was very inspired by The Long Halloween, and a lot of that is still evident if you've read that book in this film. 
but he didn't actually write the script, uh, the final one, that was Christopher's brother Jonathan Nolan and Christopher himself, and they took inspiration from all kinds of places and were sort of doing these mandatory screenings of films for the cast, stuff like Heat and all kinds of stuff, Citizen Kane, you name it, they think it's an influence. Uh, and yeah, uh, after several years, we got The Dark Knight. Kind of de facto Batman for an entire generation of people. These are the takes on these characters. Not saying that some of that isn't isn't deserving. I think several of these characters are the best iterations of them. But just this film, enormous impact. You know, the amount of stuff with Heath Ledger's face on it that is available for purchase since this film came out is staggering. The number of kids who, you know, why so serious, written something somewhere. Cannot overstate how big this film was. And kind of instantly viewed as a classic. Yes. Which I think was kind of interesting. Um, you don't get a lot of that these days. No. I don't know. I don't feel like there's been a film like this since. That's kind of taken on a life of its own that was viewed both critically and in a fan way as everything you'd ever want, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I mean, new Star like, Wars did enormous numbers and hype and everything, but I don't think people came away from it going, that's like the best shit ever. No. People felt like they were watching something new here, in yes. a way, an original. Even if it's very directly based on one an existing comic book property, openly talks about its influences from films like like Heat, things like that. Especially, I think in terms of the, the look of the film, there's that there's a sense of heat. There's a, yeah, yeah. a slight, there's a slight retro look to the film mm. that's slightly less shiny than what a lot of modern films look like. Um, which is also just a part of the fact that it's once again, almost all practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, even that giant truck flipping over, which was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was. I think like <laughs> but, almost everything except for Harvey's face. And yeah, that's CGI. And I think Batman I doing think the dive the, off think, the building. They they plotted it all out and and like shot it for real in different locations to see how it would look, but then they practically couldn't do that in Hong Kong, so they had to CG it. And then uh, the the money that turned into fire. Yes, yes. I, no, based I on what I that's, just saw, that's not safe. It looked, it, it looked pretty. It looked pretty uh, CGI. It didn't like not bad, but uh, yeah, yeah. it looked like CGI. But yeah. uh, this movie felt like a big deal. It mostly holds up. It does. Almost a, de- almost a decade later, almost a decade later, and you feel like you're still watching something cutting edge. You still feel like you're watching something that no one has really let past in any way, or even, I don't even think anyone's, has anyone really reached it in something like this? Big action uh, films, comic book films, bl- no, big blockbusters. Nah. Like, Avatar had the money, Star Wars had the love. Hmm. I don't think any of them have really Jurassic put World up- made a lot of money money it blew my mind that how much money that made just based on right. the quality because it felt like word of mouth had to be zero i i can't it was hard for me to picture anyone truly thinking it was good it seems like so many things are attempting to be important or bigger than life and few actually get there yes well wow, finding finding dory is the seventh all-time domestic gross <sighs> that's astounding to me yeah being someone who was in film school while this film came out, this was talked about quite a lot, and I know a lot of people who are incredibly unhealthily obsessed with this film. Um, I can't judge them too much. It, it, if you're going to be obsessed with the film, this is one of the better ones that has ever been made. So, fair enough. But yeah, so what is this film about, Matt? Uh, there's a guy called Bruce Wayne, 
uh, his parents were killed, so he stays perpetually a child and then gets big and muscular and, and skilled and becomes a vigilante called Batman because uh, the law can't do anything about the corruption of Gotham. And Batman saves everyone all the time and has gadgets that repel sharks. But specifically in this film, uh, so it's set <laughs> nine months after Batman Begins, uh, which seems a short amount of time to me, but hey. Maybe it's nine months after that rooftop scene that we couldn't agree on how long had passed after. Either way, nine months after Batman Begins. Uh, so crime in Gotham is generally falling, uh, with criminals shown to be afraid to operate at night because of Batman uh, and Rachel Dawes. And the new district attorney, Harvey Dent, uh, are working tirelessly to incarcerate big mob players. And it, it's leading to some actual change. However, things take a turn when the mysterious Joker approaches the heads of the crime families of Gotham and offers to kill Batman in return for half of their money. Uh, he kills Commissioner Loeb, uh, he kills a judge, and he makes attempts on the lives of Harvey Dent uh, and the mayor, and apparently kills Jim Gordon, but no one actually believes that Jim Gordon is dead. While Bruce is sort of contemplating giving up his life as Batman because of the good that Harvey's doing so that he can be with Rachel, he works alongside Gordon and Dent to capture the Joker, who reveals he has Rachel and Harvey in his custody. Uh, and Batman is very frustrated by how ineffective his methods are against the Joker, which is something we will talk about. He's given their addresses, he races to rescue Rachel, but of course finds it's instead Harvey. He narrowly saves him from the explosion, but it burns half his face while Rachel dies on the other side of town. Uh, Bruce is naturally very depressed, Joker escapes, and he goes and visits Harvey Dent, who is now quite literally Two-Face, because uh, half his face is burnt off puts a gun in his hand and basically encourages him to go take his justice. And then not content to stop there, he takes the whole of Gotham hostage, implying he's placed bombs on the bridges and tunnels, which causes everyone to mount up on ferries to try and get out. Uh, but he has, of course, foreseen all of this, despite claiming he isn't a big planner. And uh, he there's bombs on each ferry, and they're basically tasked with one has to blow the other up, or he will blow them both up. Uh, Batman finds him using scary, uh, realistic surveillance equipment uh, that the government could very well be using at this very moment. He takes Joker down, the ships don't kill each other, which seems to genuinely shock the Joker, uh, but Two-Face has been murdering a lot of people, and he has Jim Gordon's family, his, his hostage, and Batman intervenes just before he can kill them, and he knocks him to his apparent death. But because they know the effect that this will have on the city's morale, Batman assumes public responsibility for the deaths of the men killed by Harvey and disappears into the night as Jim Gordon gives an overly long monologue to his young son who probably doesn't understand what he's talking about. In all likelihood, for sure. That is the film. Um, Not that much shorter than the film itself, which runs at two and a half hours. My synopsis there. It, does, uh, it doesn't feel like two and a half hours, though. It feels like the right length, actually, to me for the story they choose to tell. I think uh, we have to focus on the most important character in this story, which is, of course, uh, Harvey Dent. Yes. No two ways uh, about that. This movie sinks or swims on the back of Harvey Dent. Without Harvey Dent, this film is a complete... Without a great performance, without a great execution of character, without an excellent 
planned out arc for Harvey Dent. This movie's spine kind of comes, falls apart, and then the rest of the movie kind of falls apart. So we got to start there. What did you think of uh, Harvey Dent in this film? Uh, Aaron Eckhart is a wonderful actor. Um, He won his role in this film, allegedly based off uh, one of my favorite films of all time, uh, Thank You for Smoking. I think he's better as as Harvey, like straight up Harvey, than he is as Two Face. But he's still good as Two Face. But just he's so suave and like so effortlessly plays this sort of smooth political figure who's also getting shit done. Uh, but then he does bring in that sort of darker side where I think it's really interesting when you have him and Bruce sort of as rivals, but they're both sort of secretly wanting to be each other. Um, yeah. I think the character is is perfectly written, and uh, several people were offered this part, but I can't imagine anyone else. But Aaron Eckhart, like he's not like an A list actor or like an A list celebrity actor, but I think he's. I can't really imagine anyone else doing this role. I think I saw that Matt Damon was offered it at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, like Matt Damon's a good <laughs> actor, but I don't see him here. Like he he'd give a good take, but I don't think it would be as good. It'd be interesting to see what it would. It, I like sometimes when there it's like he would definitely he wouldn't be as good as Eckhart. Was comes down to, but I'd be interested in seeing it because I think it would be pretty good still. Eckhart nails it. He knocks it out of the park. You, he's kind of the underdog of all the characters in terms of how they're positioned in this movie because there was so much tied to the Joker, both in terms of marketing, mm-hmm. in terms of hype. Um, and obviously due to the circumstances behind the fact that Heath Ledger passed away before the film even came out, that Harvey was kind of an afterthought. Two-Face was certainly, while a major villain, was certainly not as infamous as the Joker. And anyone with the Joker in your movie, any other villain's always going to be second build, both often literally and figuratively. But I think what this movie did, and specifically what Eckhart's performance did, was really solidify who Harvey Dent was as a person, why you should be sympathetic with him later on as a villain, and why I think the character of Harvey Dent is probably one of the most valuable in the Batman story, in the Batman universe, mm-hmm. and often the one that is given less to do for reasons that are mostly unjustified. Um, I think there is this obsession with Batman with the concept of the rogues gallery. There's an obsession with plugging in villains here and there to tell your story, but really Harvey Den is in some ways the most interesting character in Gotham, or at least one of. And any story about Batman should feature Harvey Dent prominently. Be certainly before he turns into Two Face, but Two Face should be more of an end game type of situation, not something you build a story around, as we've actually alluded to. I, I can't believe Eckhart hasn't really done anything remotely of note since then. Yeah. Uh, he was just in Sully. I know Rabbit Hole got a lot of great reviews. He got a couple of no- nominations for it. He's I mean, I, I, I the, see him pop up here and there. It's just, he. I, why isn't he a lead in, like, huge uh, films? Like, why is he a supporting character in the Has Fallen Cinematic Universe, which will continue on past... Olympus Has Fallen, and London Has Fallen to a third Has Fallen movie, apparently. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's something dumb. It's something very dumb, though. Uh, yeah, this is... Know. He knocks it out of the park. What more would you want from a movie? 
I mean, what, what, what more would you want from this performance? Yeah. Angel has fallen. That's going to be fucking dumb. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's what? an all-time comic book movie performance. It's an all-time action movie performance. It's also a complete arc. One that is arguably rushed, but not as much, in retrospect, not as much as I, as I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's oversold. One of the few common criticisms of this is that it shouldn't have had Two-Face appear in this film that like he should have been Harvey well I think the original uh David Goyer's plan was Harvey would be in this as Harvey and yes. then when Joker is on trial early in the third film he gets his face burnt and then his two-face and some people have said you know there's too much going on here where you know you you deal with Joker getting caught and then you have to get up again for a two-face showdown and it's like I can vaguely see where you're coming from but I don't agree because they were they were battling like he's the most important character that isn't called Batman. Well, he's the most important character in this film. Like Batman and Joker are fighting over him almost, and like that's the whole plot. Like it's it's called the Dark Knight, and they explicitly call Harvey the White Knight repeatedly. And like that's not an accident. That it's a mirrored idea, and that and that Batman has to assume this this role as a villain to protect Harvey because he was more important to the city than Batman is. Yeah. Although it's funny, I actually just read today, I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently Nolan has said that he wished he he wouldn't have killed him if he knew he was making it for a third movie. Yeah. But I I think in a lot of ways it was for the best. Yes. Um, like, I I'm sure he ways... had, I'm sure he wished he had that character to still play with and that actor to still direct, but if you think of what it does to the story, his legacy, I think it's, it's I think... strong. <laughs> The issues with the third film do not have anything to do with how they treat Harvey Dent. No. And if he, anything, giving one him of the as, most the, as the backbone of that film or, or a large plot his, device in it is is great. And the, the way they use his death in the third film is both thematically very interesting and also allows them to play with a lot of ideas and themes that they've been exploring throughout the, fi- the films about this notion of justice and what is justice and power and who has it and how is it wield. So uh, I I think it's actually for the best in retrospect. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's not like... I mean, you, you had Bane, um, you had The Return of the League of Shadows, like you had plenty of villains there, and make it, giving this character... Like, in death, he takes on even greater importance, almost. In the same way that Raish kind of did. Yes. Their their deaths linger on strongly in the third movie. Yes. Um, which is all the more reason I think we both kind of believe that Dark Knight Rises works better as a conclusion to the trilogy than it does as an individual film. 100%. Yeah. Um, We're not even going to make an episode about Dark Knight Rises. There's our take. Yeah, that's it. I'll isolate that and put it out as 30 seconds of audio. He's, he's great. Um, I love sort of the dynamic between him, Batman, and Gordon, where he's sort of late to the party and they're both reluctant to trust him, but behind closed doors both like him a lot. and They want to believe in Harvey Dent. They do. Um, <laughs> but it's funny, in a, in a certain way, like the fact that they take so long to believe in Harvey Dent is the reason why so much bad ends up happening. Mm. Um, you know, because... Let's if Gordon believes it's it's actually kind of brilliant in a sense that Gotham's corruption for so long is also its undoing here and allows the Joker to come about in in, in a very direct way here because 
normally you wouldn't completely distrust your district attorney in a way we thought if he knows the criminals are going to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so because of that, Lau is able to escape with the money. Yeah. Um, Lau escaping with the money means the mob has to go in all in on Lau and thus they become very vulnerable. Them being very vulnerable makes them more willing to trust the Joker. That gives them the Joker more power. It takes them, it takes Maroni an hour to be like, uh, whoops, <laughs> you know, normally like they would not go all in on that. And at the very least, the Joker's influence on the city would have been lessened. Yeah. Um, like Gordon's very small circle of trust. Which is ultimately revealed to not even be as as big as he thinks it is at the end when he's betrayed. But it's it's uh that's kind of that's something I didn't even fully like see until just this moment through this conversation. So that's kind of brilliant in a lot of ways. Yep. Uh, or at least it's just effective storytelling. And once again, like using the city of Gotham and its faults kind of brilliantly. And uh, you know, like I said, Harvey is the key to the story. Now I think once again an issue that was pretty much an issue in Batman Begins and an issue here is how much Rachel is just an object for these characters for the first movie. It was mostly just Bruce. Now she's kind of an object between Bruce and Harvey to tell the story of Harvey. Yeah. She does Um, a bit less. (laughs) Weirdly enough, she actually does less considering they get a better actress in here and Maggie Gyllenhaal to play her after Katie Holmes actually turned it down. Um, And although she's acting the little, better um a lot better i'm saying the little she's given better is what i meant oh i'm sorry Um, she's acting a little better yeah yeah, a lot better yeah like she was acting in a role where she was almost alone in the da's office and now harvey is this hotshot da and he she's like his assistant so you take away like her thing almost and she remains the romantic sort of carrot on the stick for bruce and they're sort of having a pissing contest over her so it it does weirdly take away from her that's certainly less than ideal when needs pointing out and scolding. But in the first one, isn't so? I think in the I think her role is largely gone on change. The difference is that the district attorney is a political job, and you need to actually be elected. And I think what you'll see in at least American politics is a lot of times a lot of people who maybe should who are more qualified <laughs> don't have the political acumen to actually get that job and get stuck in those jobs. Um, at least that's, I mean, that's true. That speaks truly to the experience I've seen um, in American local politics. So it's not unrealistic, but it's also kind of shitty that I think, it just, once again, it gets back to the story you choose to tell, and the story you choose to tell is not hers. But, you know, at least it's a character still, and a character making decisions. And yeah, I, the scene it really, I think, is one of the most powerfully understated tragic moments. Um, and at least a big movie is when she realizes she's about to die. Yeah. And, um, when she's trying to talk she, him she through really, it. Yeah. She, yeah. And she like is so brutal because I think you can so easily either one, put yourself in her shoes or put your partner in her shoes and know exactly how you or her would respond, not to be heteronormative, but how <laughs> your partner or yourself would, uh, basically would want to be doing the exact same thing if you were her there and yeah. um, it's brutal and how it's she how it brutal. how it flips from they both know that rachel will be the priority uh, and she she's yeah. like i know i know they're coming for me but i want to be here for you and then it's completely flipped on her where she's then like, okay um and then she's dead <laughs> it's like oh god 
very standard supervillain plot. Like, here are two people, choose. But the execution is, is wonderful. Um, having them on yeah. the phone to each other throughout, very powerful. I think what this proves is that in an alternate timeline where Hollywood is good at presenting female characters, this type of presentation would not be part of a pattern of objectifying women in terms of not making them their story. They're like, oh, they did it again, but at least it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's, ideally, like... What's the term for this? Like, fridging? Where, you, where women are only exist in films to be killed or raped or hurt in some way to give the protagonist motivation. Oh, I actually don't know. I think it's called fridging. I, I don't, don't know. know. There's like a website that's like... Sounds, sounds right. Yeah. Um, this definitely doesn't pass the vegetable test, I can tell you that. I think <laughs> she, once again, she's the only woman in the movie. And uh, uh, Ramirez, R- Ramirez, Ramirez and Martha Wayne talk, yeah. but they're talking about Jim. So does that fail the vegetable test? Uh, um, was that judge who gets blown up in the car? Yeah. 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 Uh, Ramirez gets punched. Uh, Martha, Martha gets to be a, Martha gets to be a hostage. Yeah. Um, so this movie, uh, there's no other way to put it. He's a movie about men for men. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of, I mean, there's really not much here for. But like I said, they overcome it in the sense that they're making a quality movie at least. Like it's more annoying when you're dealing with a shitty movie and it's happening. Other than that, then you have Bruce, which I think. <sighs> You have some passionate things about that we, that we have not quite gone over. Um, okay. You allude to them. S- sell me on Bruce in this film because he's sure on the screen a lot. He's sure talking a lot. Batman does a lot of things. Bruce doesn't really seem to go on that much of a journey. And maybe that's on purpose. Maybe his journey is in the first film and this is purely about his metal being tested, his philosophy being challenged etc etc but i just i'm frustrated by what feels like a regression of batman or bruce in favor of like obviously the harvey story is amazing and i wouldn't want to lose it and in in this performance from heath ledger and the joker you know you have a a screen icon and and whatnot but just it feels dramatically lesser than what is presented in batman begins and i know that's because that's an origin story so you're bound to get less sort of pathos but uh, that coupled with you know the voice getting ridiculous you know his his growling snarling whisper shouting um and i i really it's not that in any way christian bale is performing worse like I, he's acting just fine it's just yeah like i like i've said three times i'm just tripping over myself at this point i i think it's a regression by regre- regression what do you mean Specifically, I know you just went over a bunch of things, but how is it regressed? <laughs> he feels like a bit of an afterthought. Like he he's made to look a bit silly at times, and I, I get the idea is he has this strict set of principles. Everything's working routinely as he wants it to. His Joker, screw all your plans and principles. He goes in the face of them. Learn. Um, but even with that, it just feels like there's a lot less meat to him this time. Uh, I mean, I think there's definitely less meat. I think when it comes to this kind of issue, though, in general, my first thinking is, okay, are you doing less and not replacing it with anything, or are you just doing less because you don't have any ideas? And this feels a lot more like, much more like the former. Because um, I absolutely, unquestionably, Bruce Wayne, Batman, has less to do in this movie in terms of a journey compared to the first one. 
I think, as we just went over, Harvey's journey is so substantive and complete that that's not a bad thing right away. I don't think this is a regression in the sense. I think I think I think the main thing is we're coming at Batman from two different points of view. Where I correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you felt frustrated with the portrayal of Batman on screen and that it's been limited and not really three dimensional. Is that would that be correct? Before Batman begins, yeah, uh, you get a lot of gadgets, you get a lot of punching. Like obviously, he's in this these ones. He's very sort of brutal and sort of in the shadows and scary. There's not a lot of the world's greatest detective aspect to him, and I really think that there should be a procedural detective show starring Batman that's made with a high budget on television every week, but never mind. Um, I think he's made to look stupider than he's meant to be in these films, and I get it in the first one, he's inexperienced, like he's just starting out at this, but this is meant to be like an unrealistically intelligent man uh, who has spent years studying various topics and thinks his way out of problems as much as he fights his way and okay this, right. yeah. you ready for me to counter now sure i mean okay. yeah he takes forensics off a bullet that's shattered but that's a scene that i still don't understand I've watched <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like everything it's like it's like watching all of inception but in like 30 seconds in the sense that okay let me try to understand it and i hope by the next time i watch it i still remember what it means I think, yes, this is less about Batman thinking and being a detective, but that's not one. I think it's natural in the sense that a lot of this movie is reacting to someone who is theoretically incredibly unpredictable, even if it's clearly carefully planned to a T, everything mm-hmm. he's done. Yep. And I think the fact that Batman is forced to react here instead of carefully plan everything makes for an interesting progression in that he has to react in the small, but then he has to reveal his long, what he's been working on behind the scenes all along, which also then backs ties in so many thematic elements about justice and oversight and power that's going on throughout the entire Batman story. So you're pushing Batman as a character, both in the story for the audience in the sense that we don't have, he doesn't have the luxury of planning anything. And we as an audience then are put in his shoes of reacting along with him because the world's greatest detective, his plan that's been working for the last nine to 12 months, depending on your timeline, is now unraveling due to an unforeseen wrench in the gears. And I think that makes for incredibly compelling uh, programming um, for one, or content, if you will. Mm. Um, hashtag content. Hashtag content. Um, Hashtag brand. And I think it pushes Bruce Wayne to make an incredibly unethical decision that calls into, calls into question, in a lot of ways, everything we know about him. Uh, and also forces the audience, which I think I think his long plan with the you know crazy oversight sonar thing was that it kind of serves as a Rorschach test for the audience. As a stupid 19-year-old, it didn't really jump out at me as weird that he did that. As a cynical 27-year-old, I'm kind of like, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And, <laughs> Good window uh, into Mike Thomas's life here. <laughs> yeah. So I want. I disagree that regret less is means regression, and I think though where we have to agree to disagree is that what you see, you see is inherently inferior, regardless of even how much there's there. I see as a fascinating zag when you're expecting a zig. 
I think there are sort of kernels of very interesting ideas here to play with. Like, I, I, I love the idea of Joker, like, flying in the face of everything he was prepared for, and, like, he's arrogant in his dismissal of him when he's talking to Alfred. Um, and he tries to, he, he directly quotes Rachel Ghoul. He says, criminals aren't complicated. Yes. Um, and I thought that was, that's something I literally only caught this time, yeah. probably because I watched Batman against five times in the yep. last three weeks. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I was just like, whoa, Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. I, I should be like Matt and write things down, but I won't. <laughs> Hopefully he caught it. I sure did. Yeah. And like, that's interesting. Alfred's almost scolding him for being so arrogant obviously things have gone quite well for him and so far in his crusade he hasn't encountered a huge amount of resistance it's gone as planned and now he's dismissing what could be a big threat i think that is incredibly interesting and talking about what he's pushed to with that machine he says how he's like afraid of what he will have to come become to fight people like this and like that yeah that is all great i just think it's all a little bit too at the peripheral Whereas Batman Begins sort of presents Bruce up front. And again, I, I don't want um, Harvey Dent to stop being the centre of this film. And I don't want to take away any of these Joker scenes that everyone talks about rightly. I just wish there were a way to do both of those things and keep Bruce more central instead of bits here and there for you to piece together. And like, yeah, if you sit down and look at Bruce's journey like we are now, you can create a through line that is compelling, but Personally, when I watched that as a complete two and a half hour thing, he feels, like I said, peripheral almost. And that that's way worse than the next one, don't get me wrong. But yeah, just in comparison, that to me is a is a weakness compared to Begins, slightly. Okay, so the next thing I'm going to push you on, because I think that just comes down to priorities. I think for you, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you just want Batman more towards the center in general in movies called Batman. Yeah, because there's a there is a public perception that like well certainly a lot of people I know are like oh Batman's villains are really cool but Batman's like okay and I don't I don't think that's true like I think his his villains are obviously incredibly cool like he has the best cast of villains to work with there is in any medium I think but I think that the Batman character is equally as fascinating and can be more than just a punching machine who has a secret identity. I feel like what you want or need from Batman is to address a perception that is really from a bubble that does not, that a very small bubble, from a Maybe. not quite vocal bubble. And I think more Bruce Wayne in this story, I don't think it adds to the movie. Or you have to tell a completely different story because, I mean, what... I guess what I should say is, what? How does this movie improve um, with more Bruce Wayne? What needs to happen for there to be more Bruce Wayne and to simultaneously make this movie better? Like, how? You know what I'm saying? Are you asking me to write the scenes? <laughs> no, no, not like to write the scenes, but like, okay. What? I, I just think generally, if your protagonist like do you want a, is, do you want a different story? Do you no, want the same think... story but more? Do you want? No, I, a I, two I hour think... and 45 minute movie do you want a three hour movie no because I'm being serious so, yeah. I, I I think that my issues with this movie literally have nothing to do with that and I think so that's why I'm trying to get at it I'm trying to push to find out what it is so I can even 
get into the same place as you. Because from my perspective, it feels like you have an incredibly well-balanced movie where you have one main arc and you have like a 1B arc. Maybe it's a 1C arc. In this like Maybe it's an extra notch down that delicately and nimbly balances two major story character journeys being told in a movie that also is serving with a sequel and also has another villain in it that obviously seals the show i guess i'm sort of approaching this from from the perspective of like like i'm married to the idea that a protagonist in a film is it like you can make the argument nolan is telling a story about gotham he's not telling a story about batman or or whatever and i i guess i'm being slavish to the idea that your protagonist should be you know sympathetic and interesting and uh, big and prominent and i got that in begins and i i suppose there's no reason that that has i'm not saying he's unsympathetic or uninteresting i just don't think he is interesting and sympathetic enough i think one of the key issues here with batman that i think you possibly might be right about is this notion that he's ready to give up being Batman feels a little bit forced. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit out of you want to tell the story more than the stories than the story is telling it, that itself. You know, it's like you want to end up in this place where he gives it up for something, but could that be born out of the idea that Nolan wasn't attached to doing more than two of these films and like? If very this, possible. If this was to be very his possible. last one, he would want to explore that before he went. Because I mean, like, yeah. this is a year into being Batman. I know they're being more realistic with it, where like you see him covered in like the physical damage of being Batman, and you'll see him rises when he gets X-rays that his body is destroyed, and like maybe that is more realistic compared to you know ten uninter- mostly uninterrupted years of being Batman or more. And I do think that's valid also towards your point that a uh, more lengthy, let's say, five-season vision of what a Batman HBO show would be like would be able to tell that story in a more organic, less forced way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that one of the big lines I think about is Harvey's line being, well, who's ever Batman, he can't want to do this forever. I, I don't know. I don't know if someone would actually genuinely think that at that point in time. Like that didn't feel like a like that didn't feel like something anyone would actually say. Well, you would assume that whoever Batman is has a life to a larger degree than Bruce Wayne does. Like Bruce Wayne has nothing. All he is is Batman. Without his mission to be Batman, he drinks himself to death. And you you see it in the third film where he's literally grown a beard and is in his mansion dying essentially. You know, you can see why he wouldn't have a reason to give up being Batman. But maybe people are not within. Harvey's point, maybe he's not imagining the extremes of this man. Yeah, but it just felt like I don't think Batman for the people of Gotham, based on what we've seen, was in any way human enough for anyone to even conceive of yeah. him as as a person that needed to be empathized with. Yeah, and that's even a credit just to the film's success at making him in this icon almost right away, in a very once again organic way that makes it unrealistic to anyone who even conceive of his actual emotions it, it's that like so my point is that begins this whole idea that bruce is trying to get out in a way and in a for reasons that never seem actually clear when we open up the movie batman has no limits with the <laughs> Wayne. and then once again the only justification is, is that rachel made him this loopy promise that maybe one day i will be right you'll come back to me 
mm. you will you will actually be the person that you once were. And I guess you could argue as he sees Rachel slipping away and going towards Harvey that that's who he wants to be. But I I think that's a lazy part. I think that's a lazy. I think that, that's like a crutch. Mm. That's um not maybe a crutch, but a a shortcut to yeah. a journey of Batman. Bruce wants to give up Batman. I think the moment Rachel dies is the moment Batman decides I'm going to be Batman until I die. And yet he gives it up at the end of this film. Yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my point, though. And I think that contradiction is very much there. But uh, then again, I guess you could say he decided he needed to, and then that it makes sense that he fell apart because now he has no Rachel and no Batman. Yeah. So that, like, that made sense, but... I think there's a contradiction to the idea that I don't think Batman would be quite so quick to give up Batman. Well, I mean, his, uh, his justification is that Harvey's putting people away legitimately in larger numbers than he can by breaking the law. Yes. But and then... As a, but even that has never been something I've been able to completely buy into. Because they're like, okay, let's say, like, what would Harvey, like, if they found out Harvey was corrupt, how would they all be released? Would there just be not someone who was more willing to take them on? I don't know. I guess it's possible. Uh, I don't know. But uh, even that whole notion has always seemed a bit thin to me. Well, I don't, I don't think it so much does anything to the arrests or the, or the charges that have been made as much as it does to the sort of status quo of the city, the, the morale, the sort of perception that real change is possible, that good yeah. can strive when everyone else is, is bad. <laughs> um, Very possible. And I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a series of complex things he's putting together that the judges have to go with him on this journey. And maybe when they're like, "Oh, he's a murderer," it's like, "Oh, I'm less willing to do this now." Because he, you know, yeah. like uh, surprise is expressed when a judge is willing to hear the case. I think you're right in the sense that Bruce's arc is not as airtight as Harvey's, and I think that's a bigger issue than how prominent it is. Mm. I think another thing is. These are the most prominent examples of Batman. In terms of sort of cultural penetration, it's the 60s yes. show and it's these films. And it, it, realistically with young people, it's these films. These are like, this is Batman to people. And yes. across these three films, I feel there's never one instance, really. I mean, maybe The Machine, but the sort of cerebral thinking detective batman and i know detection doesn't really lend itself to the film format and the way it does the tv one fine but it's that across these three films there's never really that that depiction of him and the idea that people are walking around thinking oh batman like is real good at hiding the shadows and punching people and being intimidating that bothers me slightly but that says more about me i guess than it does anything else and that this trend of of bruce being less interesting continues uh where you get to rises and he's arguably like the fifth or sixth most important or interesting character in that film i think because that i perceive it as you know he starts so high and begins dips slightly here and then dips way down in the third one i hold it somewhat against this because i know it's the start of the trend okay i i think that at least makes sense even though i i think we've talked about this with other movies with x-men at least but Things in future movies don't really hinder my enjoyment of the previous movies, I should say. I think I'm able to compartmentalize them a little bit. Yeah, and that, that's uh, completely fair. But like, for some people, 
you know, things can be retroactively tarnished and for some people they can separate them. Uh, and that, yeah. that's 100% personal preference. It's a worthy discussion to have, though, either way. Yeah, I was just sort of longing for a version of Batman that was never quite presented. Other people are in this film, I guess. Are they? Yeah. Who? Well, there's, there's Gary Oldman back as Jim Gordon. First thing we got to point out here. What are the logistics of him faking his death? Who knows? How is just the right amount of people in on it? Like, what is going on there? <laughs> because I'll be real. When he takes off his mask and it's him, I'm sure I applauded with everyone else in the theater in 2008. It was an awesome moment. But the logistics of a how they got from A to B will never cease to be a mystery to me. And... Um, I think, I can't remember if we actually talked about this on air or off the air, but as Nolan acquires more and more power and clout within Hollywood, the more he feels comfortable just making the giant uh, plot holes that army tanks could drive through. Like, this is a yeah. major hole, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Like, there's it's a huge leap in logic to assume that at this point in time, he can reasonably trust no one besides batman correct sure like after yeah. all this time like so were all the other cops in on it was batman in on it because batman is batman acting when he's telling everybody jim gordon died for nothing is he going through a club and exposing himself in that way for for the show of it is gordon doing this all by himself what is going on here was well, implied literally only him and batman no and but, oh i think harvey knows but did he... Actually, I don't know if Harvey knows. I can't remember. I, I, I would guess no, but I have no, I have no idea. But like, No, I, when, think, I think Batman is actually... When his lieutenant when checks starts... his pulse and discovers a pulse because he's not dead and not in critical condition, clearly, hmm. does he not react? Like, does, he, does Gordon run away <laughs> when people aren't looking? Do it, like, what's going on with his body at this time? I don't know. I guess you write it off as sort of the chaos of that shooting at the mayor and maybe his right hand man who is uh, the guy that goes and tells barbara gordon that he's dead maybe he knows i i took that to be harvey bullock and i assume they didn't name him because having two harveys in one film is is confusing yeah maybe he knows yeah anyway i just don't i think that plot hole is such a it seems so unnecessary to have that leap in logic i i think it's an it's a leap it's a creative decision that does not age well because in the moment it obviously leaves this tremendous applause but then you know it's nine years later and you're only like huh <laughs> what why yeah what what's going on there? why this is this is a holdover from goya like this is straight out of long halloween uh the three of them working together one of them pretending to be dead blah 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 um it's um, just less elegantly written i think yeah but you know gary oldman generally good Great, and as we, I think we talked about last time, I like uh, how he's kind of in this fitter, yeah. ready for combat shape before his uh, pudgier phase and softer phase and rises. Longer hair, um, more take charge. He's got at this point uh, so much. He's got so much clout that he can basically do whatever he wants at this point, and mm. um, basically yeah. operating without any oversight. Clearly, yeah, when he's head and, of um, uh, the major crimes unit and has his own little team and his own little fortress and his own yeah, all these things. I think that actually, in some ways, would actually be a very interesting. Uh, what's it? That Gotham Central yeah. comic book series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that nine month stretch where Gordon's got his way with everything would actually be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, well, like you see it in the first know. one where he's very sort of he doesn't agree with the corruption, but he's also not actively doing much. Like he's passively yeah. just like absolutely he doesn't like it but he's not doing anything in this one he carries himself with confidence like he marches into yeah. harvey's office and he's sort of very glib with him and it's a great way of showing the around. progression of gotham that mm. batman like he batman opened the door and the, he needed people like gordon to walk through it and yes. that's what's happened that's interesting he uh i mean oldman nails i mean oldman's a fantastic actor he nails pretty much every scene yes um whatever and they kind of he's kind of like the utility player in that like whatever we need from Whatever emotion we need in this moment, he provides. <laughs> yes. Gary, do things. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we need sadness. We need glib. We need uh, anger. We need frustration. Can you get slapped in the face? Can I? No. Uh, there's something about his delivery of the line, I need to save Dent, was at the very end when, when he and Batman have a quick yeah. um, divide on what the course of action should be in those final moments with the Joker. Um the music like kicks in right at that moment. I think there's like my, I get goosebumps every time in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, Olden just, just a fantastic actor. And it's uh, their, their gallery of uh, Academy award winning or nominated actors. That's the real gallery going on here. In, yes. uh, the dark Knight trilogy. And it pays off all the time. Yeah. Um, speaking of which Michael Caine, once again, continues to act as the moral check to Bruce once again, is fantastic, and what would be his last fantastic performance is Alfred. Um, <gasps> did the crying scenes suck and rises? Um, <laughs> I mean, he's he's good for like the first thirty-five minutes and rises. But <laughs> okay. Anyway. okay. Um, I like how at the beginning of this one, it's sort of jovial prodding at him, yeah, and then it becomes a more open. You're wrong. Here are the problems with the black and white philosophy you've adopted uh, uh, and he's borderline sort of saying i told you so when rachel dies but still yeah. but but while encouraging him to continue on yeah. and like he's the one telling and, um, him not to give himself up uh to stop has, people dying and he has one of several what would be uh what would be are there were several iconic moments lines in this movie <laughs> amazingly enough which does not Some happen men often just want to watch the world burn it's amazing. You don't. Once again, this is something that doesn't happen with movies all that often. Like, here's to look, here's looking at you, kid. I, as long as I live, I'll never go hungry again. Like, the, you associate those kind of iconic lines with movies from practically a century ago, and uh, and Anchorman. But that's different. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's different. You don't even need to see Anchorman to get to uh, to use those lines. Yes. Um, the Sun Man just want to watch the world burn. The die. A hero, I live long enough to see himself become the villain. I think what's interesting though is that because it's so new and irony has become the preferred source of humor, is that like it's not cool to say those lines, but yeah. they're still like iconic at the same time. Like you have, to, if you're going to use those lines, you better be ironic with it, otherwise you look like a dork. That's true. Um, I I do use some men just want to watch the world burn over like really small things yeah. to be not funny. Yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> but at the same time. They're as iconic as a line can be that mm-hmm. was intended to be not funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, and the some men would just want to watch the world burn. That whole speech, yeah. while probably ridiculous, and thankfully Sony is not responsible for Batman, otherwise we'd probably have an entire spin-off trilogy devoted to the adventures of the man who makes gazpacho for Bruce. Uh, um, Burning down jungles, is... murdering countless yeah. people and animals. 
yeah, that would be the certainly what would happen if Sony had control. Yeah. But uh, why don't we have the uh, Aunt May film? Damn it! No, Aunt May is a spy. It's gonna be great. Uh, in his Alfred's decision to not give Rachel's letter to mm. Bruce would obviously play a huge role in the final film. Yes. Um, for better, but not for better, just for worse. Um, I, d- I do like, uh, you know, that you know Rachel doesn't do a lot or, ha- or has less agency, but I do like that she like stands her ground with Alfred yeah. uh, about Bruce's decisions. Yeah. Morgan Freeman is back as Lucius Fox. He's kind of like in his own separate movie in a way. <laughs> There's uh, the spin-off can... film you want to see. Lucius Fox's I guess, life yeah. as in Wayne Industries. You could almost like picture a sitcom about it. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> like Christian Bale makes a 10 second cameo in each episode. Um, Does he walk into I'm, the rooms in increasingly silly ways? It's like, oh, I'm finally be able to get out at 4 o'clock this night. I don't have to make some stupid gadget. Oh, Bruce. <laughs> Uh, I need to get into uh, a plane from the ground. Sing <laughs> 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 this out because if people hear it, they'll steal our idea. <laughs> yeah, um, but he has to deal with the subplot of Mister Reese. Yeah, not Mister Reese. Uh, no, close. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Riddler. Um, <sighs> Lucius Fox has to deal with an outside consultant figuring out who Batman is. That mm-hmm. leads to a fairly unique sequence later in the film that I guess we can discuss later on. But uh, Lucius Fox gets to once again serve as the moral compass, makes mm-hmm. things for Batman generally pleasant to watch. Very quippy. Uh, get, gets his big moment, much like, I think, kind of in almost like a Brian Singer fashion, everyone kind of gets their moment. Uh, they're a part of the ensemble in some way, and uh, he gets his moment at the end where he draws a line with Bruce. Yeah, I love that then, he objects. Yeah, especially once again, very valuable, I think, because I think, I mean, the problem with the Batman story in general is that you're popularizing this myth that fascism is a good correction towards a failed state, and um, probably not a good thing to popularize. He's not a full-on uh, fascist, but it's pretty fascist. Like he's somewhat. not like he's not like jailing not, his enemy. He's well, not a tyrant. He's yeah. not a tyrant. No, he's. Uh, but it's it's like fascist fascist principles kind of being applied to uh, one above all. I know better. Blah blah yes. blah. Yeah, yeah. That needs to be checked a little bit. So so thankfully, uh, Lucius Fox is there to do that for our hero. But uh, I feel it feels very consistent with this character. You know, once again, there's that ensemble element that they managed to pull off seamlessly with Batman in a way that more superheroes should be able to be going with. You feel like you have this team trying to take the Joker down, and the team is slowly falling apart towards the end. But Lucius and Alfred managed to make it to the very end. A few other notable castings: Anthony Michael Hall, of all fucking people, plays a newscaster who gets. <laughs> Um, a couple of key scenes for the plot yeah. to deliver. Eric Roberts plays Sal Maroney. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Bob Hoskins and James Gandolfini also failed to get this tried part. To, yeah. yeah, I feel like they didn't go with Gandolfini because they didn't want to feel like The Sopranos. <laughs> like I feel like you don't like literally the greatest performance as a gangster in the history of anything ever. Whoa. You would think, yeah, second Al Pacino. Um, you would think. Uh, that would merit a 10-minute bit part in The Dark Knight, but maybe 
they didn't want it to be a distracting performance. But Julia Roberts' uh, brother was available, so... Listen, he was almost a big deal in the 80s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he's good here. He's very sleazy. No, he's, he's good. <laughs> like I said, it's, it's another thing. Like, he and uh, Tom Wilkinson are delivering performances in movies that are completely different than the movie we're watching hmm. as Falcone and Maroney. And, uh... <sighs> <laughs> It's Falcone. Uh, <laughs> you just set them together. You must feel how ridiculous that sounds. Falcone and Maroni. Oh, um, okay. Speaking of sitcoms, that should happen. <laughs> hey, you just stole my corner. This is where I sell my drugs. Hey, hey, oh, hey, uh, skip, hey. Uh, we're going off the rails. Much One of my favorite supporting actors from Lost plays the mayor, Nestor Carbonell. Yeah, he does. In the role of mayor. Yeah, uh, Nestor Carbonell was awesome on loss he yes, provides he a welcome he's a welcome addition in any movie as far as i'm concerned i'm mm-hmm. glad he got to be a part of this and dark knight rises uh chin han plays lao with an appropriate amount of fake confidence and sleaze yeah. or uh unearned confidence and earned sleaze he gets called a television uh, that's pretty funny yeah I, that was a, that was a good line and he really uh he's good he's good in the role uh, Killian Murphy returns for a cameo as a mm. scarecrow, which was a very effective way of making the universe feel more lived in. Shows how Gotham's changed as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, criminals like him now are actual criminals and not hiding in plain sight. That's cool. Uh, Richie Coster playing the Chechen is once <laughs> again in a completely different movie than the one we are watching. He's oddly um, charming. I, I don't even know what it is, but he. Little things like trying to continue eating while he's getting arrested. Apparently, he's doing a Robert, like a really hammy Robert De Niro impression. I feel like I remember oh. reading that at some point. Colin McFarlane returns as Loeb, the the now ex commissioner, as he was blown to pieces, or no, he was mouth was melted or something. Mm, I don't know. Drank poison. Um, Linda McGraw, Don Draper's what's it? What's the word? Mistress of the season, uh. season four, I believe. Maybe. Uh, Don Draper had a mistress seemingly in every <gasps> season. That, he has that a mistress? His, I know, right? Whoa. Michael, Michael J. White popping up as Gamble. Fuck uh, yeah. William Fichtner popping up as the bank manager. Um, love Fichtner. Love Armageddon. Yep. yep. Terrible movie. Makes me cry every time. Fuck yeah, um, it does. You don't, you don't cry at the end of Armageddon, you're made of stone. Ron Dean plays Wurtz. Uh, Monique Gabriella play, plays Ramirez. Both are roles that are like odd like feel oddly and prominent early on in the sense that like why do these people have lines and you're like, <laughs> oh that's why that's why they have lines yeah so we remember who they are and her um, mother is in the hospital yes mm. so natural such a real conversation they would have in that moment tom tiny so, lister oh i forgot about tiny lister yeah, yeah he's got a big moment um, i like his moment i like that he's i like that it's not a character we know yeah because it would have felt really forced and a little too novelistic that if it was literally like, oh, it all ties together. <laughs> um, Keith Sarjibgita um, <laughs> plays the fake Harvey Bullock. Yeah. Um, in a role, he mostly has to stand around. He gets J-Broned by the Joker. <laughs> and also, he looks exactly like the person who tries to run over uh, Mr. Reese with his car later on. So yes. that was always very confusing to me. Yes. I was like, oh, that guy switched sides. Oh, no. He, wait, what? No, okay. I'm just a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Paying way too much attention. Um, that's, that's where you've been going wrong all this time. That's about it. Yeah. 
There's a, there's a small Australian bit part actor who's in here. You may remember him from 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. He was in the TV show Roar. A Knight's Um, Tale. Classic. Yeah. The Brothers Grimm? Is that him and Matt Damon? His uh, final iconic performance was, yeah. of course, in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnarsis. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, since Matt decided to bring him up like a Kodo geek, uh, Heath Ledger is in this movie playing the Joker. Mm. It is iconic. He won a billion awards for it. All future Joker performances will be compared to this performance of the Joker. Yeah, Jared all, Leto had no chance. <laughs> all future portrayals of the character of the Joker will be judged based on how he was portrayed here. This is the standard for the Joker. It blows away Jack Nicholson. I don't think there's really anything I know, to I'm debate stunned, about that. I'm stunned that this is a debate. That people are like, oh, it's so iconic, Nicholson. Though. It's like, mm, yeah, it existed in a prominent film. Yeah. Eckhart delivers the most important role. Christian Bale continues to be excellent, even if he has less to do here. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was the big thing everyone took away from this movie. And I don't think there's anything we can do now to cheapen that. I don't think just because that everyone else is great in this movie, that there's anything to knock about Heath Ledger's work in this one. There's only a single moment in this movie where you see him i don't mean like literally see his face because yes there's one moment where you actually see the real heath letter's face mm. and not just the makeup there's only one moment where he has the makeup on where i'm like oh that's heath Ledger. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you had that same feeling but it's in the uh, interrogation scene when he's surrounded by dark yeah yeah, yeah there's yeah. something his face his face just comes he, he you see heath ledger behind the makeup yeah, it, it really for right the through. only time um it's eerie if anything and kind of haunting um yeah. It's like kind of random. You don't know why. Why in that moment does it seem like him so much? There's something must be. I don't know. Something about something visually about, about that. Yeah. I think I went into this viewing to, like kind of focusing on Harvey because I really wanted to discuss the story of Harvey. But I do truly think it's brilliant. I think we got the definitive Harvey Dent and the definitive Joker in this movie. I don't think uh... it's a fool's errand to try to top this. You have to go in a different direction. I think is best probably the best way to put it. Yeah, and they did, and it got shot on. <laughs> so, yes. what can you do? Um, um, we'll and talk I, about that in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I still haven't even seen that yet, so okay. um, I can't I, even comment on it. But um, you're going to hate it. I, I know it right now. I assume. I assume so. You're going to um, you're going to be like, there's not one thing in this film that's good, and I'm going to be like, oh, but the first half is kind of like uh, pretty, and you're going to be like, no, Matt, fuck you. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. Go read my fucking <laughs> Doctor Strange review. I do not care what things look like. Um, <laughs> that's, that's true. I can verify that. What what, uh, what can you say? It, it, I, something, it's funny, I think with Heath Ledger, in a lot of ways, he was a part of so many iconic movies for me as a kid that I felt a, a real, con, not connection is probably too strong of a word, but there was something special to him, about him to me for a really long time before he got, he struck it as a credible award-winning actor. And I was still in my very young, still very much deeper into film love than I am now when his death happened. I'll actually never forget. Someone actually, yeah, I was a freshman in college, so first year of college for all you non-Americans. And as a tradition, like people have those like dry erase boards outside their rooms, their dorm rooms. And someone wrote, as I was actually going to watch some movie for a racism film in film class. I can't remember which one it was, but it was pretty early, obviously. Someone just wrote, rip, rest in peace, Heath Ledger. And I'm just like, what the fuck? 
that's how I found out. Very weird. Oh um, shit. <laughs> yeah, I hate that he's gone. Yeah. I'm actually getting sad right now just thinking about it. It hits me a few times a year that he's gone. Mm-hmm. I think he was on his way to having one of the most spectacular careers in film history. Yep. I think the fact that he was willing to try different things all the time, like the fact I just went to his IMDb page and the fact that he basically only has 16 credits makes me sad all over again. Yeah. I didn't even realize it was that few. And um, like what Nolan says about him, about the reason he cast him because he, he has no vanity. That's so true. Like he, he, he just gives himself to roles. And, uh, like, that's always, that always sounds like kind of an obnoxious thing to talk about. Um, or, like, it just, like, oh, he has no bounty. He, he fully dives in. But I think even more than that, there was just this... It was both just... You felt... You didn't feel like he was an actor. You felt like he was a performer. Like, you felt like this was... He became the character, which I think is... Yeah. Slightly less obnoxious way of saying it. But, you know, like, I look back, like, 10 Things I Hate About You, one of the most iconic movies of my childhood. Yeah, the Patriot. Man. The first movie... That while I was completely wrong about in terms of its genuine quality, still made a huge impact on me. And um, I think that's everyone. Everyone like their first viewing of the Patriot is like, "Oh, it's a really good film." And then you look back on it, and Uh, (laughs) and I think it's a an interesting movie to study in uh, so many ways because it's so condescending in some ways, but at the same time so compelling. But yada yada yada. Um, Like the fact that that's yet another movie where he uh, dies is so. Actually, it's probably one of the few movies that guys in that I'm looking back at it. Oh, you know what's even so fucked up? Is that like a month later in that racism in film class, we watched Monsters Ball where he fucking kills himself halfway through. And I'm yeah. just like, what the fuck? Because I did not know that was coming at all. That was really dramatic, actually. Now I think back about that. Um, do, do I need to put on my, my psychiatrist yeah, outfit here? Um, <laughs> Let's dive into uh, the ear of Mike Thomas. Yeah. Uh, I I remember like I dragged my dad to a Night's Tale. We both loved it at the time, <laughs> and uh, I, did, I always I didn't it's know what the ball. Yes, it's a very but it's a it's a fun movie, which is important. And then yeah. um, he kind of goes through this four year gap between that and Brokeback Mountain, where his career does not take off in the way everyone expected. Uh, the Four Feathers was an infamous flop. I still haven't seen it. I I should just because it's him. Uh-huh. Ned Kelly didn't make really any impact. The Order was a flop. Lords of Dogtown was a very small role. The Brothers Grimm was a flop. <laughs> um, I paid money to see that film. Did you know? I did. Um, I had a very uh, wide open Friday night. Casanova was a flop. Came out the same year as Grimm, Dogtown, uh, Brokeback yeah. Mountain. Uh, yeah. Brokeback Mountain obviously kind of put him on a new level. People who didn't take him seriously before all of a sudden are taking him seriously. It was a fantastic performance and a fascinating movie. And then from there, <laughs> like, he dies three years later. Um, yeah. And he pretty much, you know, he's a part of I'm Not There, but that's obviously such an impact. Like, the main character is played by eight different people. Yes. You know, Dr. Pernarsis, once again, in terms of haunting, fucked up images, that movie, do you know, have you seen that movie? Yeah. Like, the first scene is him, like, hanging by the neck off the <laughs> London Bridge. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? You Couldn't they have found? This? I think there's something tragic about the fact that, uh, you know, yeah. someone as talented as him who clearly had drug issues early in his career- life and, you know, basically probably, I'm not the, not the fucking doctor, but I'm guessing his body was susceptible to sleep medication taking mm. away his life. Yes. And um, that's what happened. 
And uh, I think he had pneumonia or something as well. He'd filmed yeah. he'd filmed something where he was in water for a long period of time and it makes me so incredibly it's, sad. It's yeah, like I try to but I can't imagine a world where he I'd I'd love to be able to imagine it, but like a world where he lives and is celebrated for this film. Like I'm sure plenty of people that saw it told him this was amazing, but like a world where we all publicly fall at his feet and he can see it and he gets yeah. roll after roll from it and we see where he goes to like that's I want that but I can't I can't see it you know like it's unfortunately his death is intrinsically forever tied to this part and like people like complete oh dumbasses want to <laughs> create fiction oh he died for this role like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, it drives me nuts. oh he was living in a hotel room and he thought he was the joker and it made him suicide no i know I I usually try to not like delve into those kind of arguing with perception because it's an off it's a fruitless and also often misguided adventure. But whenever I see some dumb comment like that, I'm just like tempted to just get into a giant argument about it. Yeah. Like he finished this film um, and was like going on with his life um, <laughs> and like was yeah just so dumb. Yeah, the Joker so far is definitely, definitely the most fun I've ever had with the character. He's just out of control, no empathy. He's a sociopath, a psychopath, mass murdering clown, and uh, I'm just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying. It. Yeah, the, the role killed. Him. <laughs> um, uh, it just drives me absolutely nuts because yeah. I think it's such an insult to his memory. Yeah. Um, and I not that I, not that I knew him or anything. Like that, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Just like no, I, I, it, it, I give, I get that same reaction, and not. I don't I don't want to insult his memory, but I think another thing to remember about this is if you can cast your mind back to when he was announced as Joker, that was not met with universal praise. Like a, a lot of people didn't know he had this in him. Um No. And I and, think um, whenever you see a superhero cut like when Ben Affleck was announced as Batman and people like uproar and and everything like that. Like, I think you need to have some perspective and look back at this and remember how much resistance this was met with and how well it turned out. And to a much lesser extent, Michael Keaton was heavily protested and some crazy people think he's the best Batman. <laughs> so he's yeah, got that work. usually protested and it's largely seen as the only worthwhile thing about <laughs> yeah. the movie that just came out. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Just let the performance happen and judge it for itself. But yes. uh, but yeah. what's funny with Heath Ledger, and actually kind of similar to Affleck, is that they were kind of had lost a lot of credibility. Yeah. Restored that credibility, and then that credibility was spent on Batman. <laughs> in yeah. some ways, but I don't like, think almost. I doubt Heath Ledger looked at it that way, but I think. Yeah. Uh, well, like the same with Affleck, like like Argo, obviously very well received. How many like average joe people went to see something like argo how many how many people looked at brokeback mountain and were like no thank you and how many people still walked around with this perception in their head that ben affleck is making dumb fail films and heath ledger is that pretty boy who did the, that string of unsuccessful films you know like but then you do something like batman that like everyone sees and, uh... yeah i don't know it's um there's something so haunting about this performance and um, there's also something eerie about it being his last big performance and yet you don't feel like you're watching Heath Ledger at any moment. Um, no, this isn't Heath Ledger, this is simply just a Joker. But, uh, no, it's, it's good. It's... Like Every every presentation of Joker is is far more like over the top. Uh, and like not that this isn't 
Lodge it's over life. the top, but it's grounded yeah. in the reality that Nolan established somehow. Yes, exactly. And, like, he's sort of dirty and grungy. And I also like the moment in the... Uh, the fr- I like both of them, but the, the two hostage videos. In that first one, when he has that, like, dramatic shift, where he's like, look at me, and it's like, look at me! You know, like, it's a really deep, violent thing. Yeah. And I love this and idea also- that, like the playtime is only for him and you aren't allowed to enjoy it. He He's having all this fun and then if you don't take him seriously, he turns, you know? I also kind of like, you know, obviously, the Joker is the inverse of Batman. That's why it's thematically important. Um, like, that kind of stuff is usually obnoxious. But also, to me, has often rang hollow. Even in something like the Batman animated series, which I love, obviously, but I don't... The Joker does not feel as substantive as he does here. And even if there's no merit to any of his philosophy in a lot of ways, um, there are certainly moments of truth in there, not to mention the, the truth that, I mean, what I consider to be the fact of if Batman was entering the criminal justice world and had to be a crazy person to finally shake it out of its slumber, the Joker basically the criminal underworld is turned is flipped on its back by batman and now it's the one backpedaling in its slumber not not what it once was and now the joker has to be this crazy person in his mind to free it and uh, i think that actually does ring true for once that whole batman and joker are the inverses of each other and uh i think that's something to, to think about something to commend the film for being able to capture so many strong scenes, like the interrogation, the in the cell when he starts clapping, and the moment. I mean, like, and then uh, countless small moments, like, um, how many of your friends have I killed? You've killed six of my friends, and he mouths six. Yeah. Like, it, it's so darkly comedic in that moment. Yeah, um, all these weird then, little like, touches, like throwing champagne out of the glass before he tries to yeah. drink it, and like combing his hair back with a knife when he's like such a visual wreck while he's saying hello beautiful like sarcastically trying to make himself look good for her i think while so many versions of joker have tried to hit the nail on its head with i'm going to make a joke out of everything like and they'll talk about how much they're making a joke out of everything he makes a joke out of everything without saying it in a way that feels much more it actually feels like a true satire in some ways, without it being a satire, if that makes sense. Like, he's making a satire out of life in a way that doesn't feel dumb. And it's also one of the few villainous per, uh, characters in history where I am completely glad there's not a single redeeming element to him. Yeah, um, I hate people like, that, like, worship the character. And like, oh, I want Joker to win. It's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like... That's not what that's there for. <laughs> Like, Walter White is more likable than the Joker. and yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Walter White is, is a complete... Awful. Yeah. Like, if you're not rooting for Gus in season four, you're a terrible person. Um, <laughs> Fucking poor Jesse, man. I think and like, that's why thing, you need Harvey only thing, as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's why Harvey's story is what keeps us together. Otherwise, if it's, I think people would be tempted to watch this movie and be like, I want more of the Joker. And I think any more of the Joker would have been too much Joker yes. um, for the sake of the story. Even if like an extra scene would have been very entertaining, 
I think the story does require it does less with more, and I think that's what it needs. Yeah. Uh, like, what, also, what do you actually get out of Batman? Like besting him in a fist fight at the end, and then yeah. that's it. Like nothing. And you that that's another thing. I love how Joker is just like this chicken shit bad guy who yeah. has no intention, like openly and literally has no intention of getting into a fist fight with Batman. Yeah. Like throwing his and men at him and like, like he just like he throws his henchmen in front of him and then like kicks him from behind, hits him with a bat, like sacrifices dogs he is the devil incarnate as close as there ever will be yeah. like there's nothing redeemable about him in the slightest beyond the fact that there are elements of truth to what he says at times and i think a line that has not become quite as iconic as others and thus naturally is actually probably better and more powerful and speaks to more truth is is the the conversation about plans and how when everything goes to plan nobody cares for instance, the U.S. dropping bombs in some Middle Eastern country. No one gives a fuck. Uh, one crazy person killing a little blonde girl in Aruba that's American. <gasps> yeah. Everyone loses their minds. And I, I think while a lot of Joker's philosophies can be easily dis- discarded um, as silly philosophy, like 101 philosophy that tricks a lot of dumb people a lot of dumb fans into thinking the joker was really powerful and intellectual i think that is actually a truly important point that does not get crystallized enough and enough portrayals of the media and um i think there was something worthy about him pointing out the hypocrisy and uh not in terms of actually in terms of that telling that story was a worthy story to tell that's my point yeah I, I like him more like less as a philosophical espouser of ideas and more as just he is a brick wall that Batman hits in terms of his ideology and how he operates and like yeah. how he's savagely beating him in the interrogation room and he genuinely doesn't care. Yeah. And it's like, well, now and, what, um, what have you got now? I think actually what's kind of funny is that Batman at that point thinks that's all he still needs to do yes. is that he's been facing a lot of dumb people now for a year and he doesn't really need to outthink them. This is the first time he really needs to outthink them. It's like when you get comfortable at a job and all of a sudden your your brain stops being stimulated by it because you're just doing the same thing over and over. Uh-huh. Once you've learned how to do it, this is Batman. He has to learn how to do something new. And in that sense, I think it's appropriate that you don't see the nine-month journey in between because the change in job, if you will, the change in uh, position is far more interesting than the day-to-day out. But uh, like I said, the the Joker, I think, in a lot of ways, does show who these characters really are at moments. I think that is a, a worthy story to tell. And yeah. it's told in both an interesting and incredibly entertaining way. Yeah, he, he um, is a very, very interesting plot device for Batman writers, I think. Yeah. The, the one scene in the film that I remember about Joker more than any other, like all these iconic lines is, oddly enough, when he's in the police car after he breaks out and it's just sort of yeah. swerving and he's he's leaning out the window and there's, like, no sound. I yeah. don't know why that one sticks in my mind so much, but that's so, so the character to me. Important to point out, because I think on the fringes of the story is, or of the entire story of Batman, is what we do with the people, with criminals. Like the theme of what justice is is obviously one of the biggest themes that is present throughout all three movies, right down to the very origins of of Batman with Joe Chill. Like, what is justice? Is keeping this man in prison justice? Is killing this person justice? What is actually justice? And we see 
the Joker attempt to point out the hypocrisy of that at the end? I don't know. Did it? Did you think? Were you? Like, did it feel forced that no one blew up either ship? I mean, it feels like. Uh... But I'm saying, like, do you think that in that moment, no ship blows up by either? Uh, by either? like, does the other ship blow up the other ship? Yeah, um, I think I think one of them would blow the other up 100. percent But that's not the yeah. story. That's a, like you can't just tell this like really bleak tale. Like, I know, but that's my point. Is does that payoff feel earned? Uh, I think so, because otherwise, like, Joker's 100% right, and, like, going about proving him wrong in that moment, and saying that Batman isn't fighting for nothing, and that the the general people of Gotham are actually better than the criminals give them credit, I think is important. I mean, I agree that your story is not complete if they blow up. I'm saying, do they earn the moment, though, when they don't blow it up? You've seen the usual suspects, right? (laughs) If Kaiser Soze was, uh, you know... Susie Amos the whole time you'd be like uh what <laughs> like because it's like if they actually do the due diligence and that twist at the end when you look back on it still makes sense all this time yeah um, but that, it's not like that like this is more like a justification of the hero's journey almost I know but it feels that's my point it feels more like something that feels necessary based on the author's idea of what the story is and not the story they actually told or the the way they've established the universe I guess, yeah. But uh, anyway, you know, the humanization of prisoners in that moment, in that scene, is vitally important to the themes of justice in this trilogy, and also sets up why Gotham City is not the uh, beacon of light that it thinks it is by the time the Dark Knight Rises comes around. And um, how faulty this notion of just imprisoning everybody is your solution to your problems. We've seen uh, in America... Uh, specifically how much of a terrible error that is in judgment and how a complete failure of society as a whole to think that that is the solution to your problems. And it feel, it's a complete misunderstanding of crime and how crime happens and why crime happens. And uh, Gotham is spared in this moment, and uh, appropriately enough, it is not spared in the next one. I, I do like that you know, Joker is a person presented to us as so secure in his beliefs uh that like his philosophy is correct everything he does turns out how he expects it to and then in that moment he's proven wrong and he does genuinely look very shocked that it's gone yeah and it's really this awesome moment of uh faith being broken yeah uh even if just for a moment you sort of see see it unravel a bit and like we've talked about how we you know you don't want joker to be a person really like the they they take that thing from killing joke with the multiple choice origin story where he's 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 got three different stories about how he got the scars and whatnot but in that one moment you do kind of see it like if this is all a performance and he is underneath actually a person you kind of almost see it there but then he snaps back to oh i got harvey i think that gets one last thing we have to discuss is so i think definitely from a story from the story they were trying to tell that conclusion was natural in terms of like, we want to end on this test for Gotham. Did it feel like somewhat of a letdown after everything the Joker had done in the previous two hours? Was the stuff with the boats in? Yeah. I mean, it feels less feel smaller. Yeah. yeah, You know, it it definitely does blowing up a hospital. Yeah. it, It feels a very sort of by the numbers villain plot. Like, Oh, here he is in this building. Oh, there's bombs over here. Batman wins. 
something about that has always felt like a step down moment. It felt a little anticlimactic for some reason for me. Mm-hmm. But I guess that points to the fact that the real climax is with Harvey Dent yes. at 250 52nd Street in the ruins where Rachel died. Poetic, if you will. Uh, it rhymes. Harvey, at this point, has decided that these three men who came together a mere two hours ago to fight crime, this is where their journey must end together. Mm. And uh, well, he flips well, a coin. I mean, if all the coin flips go different ways, they all get to walk away. Like... Well, either way, uh, justice will prevail because justice is blind and yes. justice is 50-50. Chance is the only um, thing that's fair. Yes. Which doesn't... Um, actually makes sense but no not at all but you know he's been through a traumatic ordeal i um, found his singling out of gordon as a bit much i get why he'd hate batman i get how, why he'd hate the detectives involved but he seems to make a, such a big thing of gordon that it, it felt a little bit out of place to me he fixates on gordon yes in a way that seems a little unnatural uh-huh. but once again traumatic experience Mind addled. Yes. Um, Half of face exposed. And uh, he shoots Batman. Oddly enough, gives himself the second yeah. coin toss. Doesn't really make <laughs> Go any sense. Go first or last, bro. Don't, don't do it. Yeah. That. Second one's kind of a weird move. Yeah. Uh, he just really wanted to shoot Batman. He goes on the third. Batman tackles him. In a scene that visually... I do not think conveyed what they wanted to convey no, upon first viewing. Not quite. Because the notion that he was dead at the end seemed baffling to me. It's like, they're like a story above the ground. How yeah. is he dead? Like, how is he so dead that he can't even move? There's no, like, what? But I guess they are much higher off the ground? It's it's really hard to tell what's going on in yeah, this scene. They, they then, don't make it clear at all. Because then Gordon and Batman kind of teleport down to him as well. Yes. Um, um, then the son gets down there somehow. The mother and the daughter, long gone. It's very... What is the very, geography of Gotham? The visual presentation of the scene, I think, it can only be described as a failure? Yeah, uh, they, maybe that's a strong word. They fail but, what is narratively happening and what they're giving yes. as actors in that moment. The, the only thing I can think of is they're hedging their bets on whether or not they want to keep Harvey alive. Mm. Well, with Nolan uh, saying he wasn't sure he was coming back and if he had, he would have kept him alive. It, it, Create some doubt there. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I, I say that kind of like devil's advocate. I don't really believe that. I think it was just more poor shooting. Um, oh, yeah, well, like Ar- Ar- Devil- Eckhart was asked, "Are you returning?" And I think he was standing next to Nolan, and he said something like, "Well, am I?" And he jokingly was like, "Maybe." And then we're like, "No, no, absolutely not." And uh, maybe the only thing I think is, is maybe that was a Warner Brothers request, being like, maybe. "Please make this less definitive, so we have the option of keeping him alive." But again, I mean, this is just rampant speculation. Remember, at this point, you know, obviously Heath Ledger was not dead, and they were free to use Heath Ledger in a third film, even if they wanted to. Even yeah. in the back of Nolan's mind, he was like, "I still could tell a story." Either way, uh, Harvey dies. Uh, Batman takes the fall. Batman is now the leper. He is now the outcast. He's been cast out. Um, very <laughs> Just quickly. like that man said. <laughs> yeah. It's poetry. Yeah. It rhymes. He's a cop it's, killer, man. He killed those cops, yeah, allegedly. That were dirty cops. Yeah. Thus, he... He killed. He killed Harvey for some reason. That seemed. Belie- I guess everyone just believed that. Yeah. It's weird. 
It's, yeah. It feels a little forced. It's always felt a little forced to me. I mean, it's but, it it holds true to the idea that he's a symbol, not a man, and he can assume yes. responsibilities and roles that no one else yes, can, yes. and all of that. But, yes, yes. Yeah. If that if that is potentially the end of the Batman story, if Nolan doesn't come back, he's he's telling an arc that ends with. Batman becomes the villain and he's hunted for the rest of his days. When um, traditionally you see him hunted at the beginning and then he earns the trust of the cops and that's the Batman tale. But they go almost the opposite way. Which I actually kind of like. Um, I think that doesn't... I don't think that's a, a negative, but it's certainly notable. Mm. Um, but ending on the note that your protagonist is, in the eyes of everyone in the world, the villain... And then, sh- I... and then not being able to demonstrate any positives coming in a in a world where this is the last of the Nolan films. Yeah, I know. Where you don't get to see the outcome of that as positive. It's like so he potentially did all this. Is Public Enemy number one, and it doesn't matter. I think that's actually okay. I okay, think that's um, I kind of like that, but I'm also kind of uh, touched in the head. So um, I I like I like endings that flip expectations on their head a little bit like when like when dr manhattan had i mean uh when ozymandias had already destroyed all those cities man yes my memory of watchmen is excellent i know everything that you're talking about um i like watchmen but explain it for the audience because the audience doesn't remember well the audience has a bad memory of Watchmen. well he's he's monologuing his plan but he'd actually already done it and it's like ah dog that's smart of you twist you are the smartest um, guy alive but uh yeah i actually kind of like that and in some ways i think the only thing about it that you don't like is that you leave that movie thinking like can't wait for the third one <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the notion that they wouldn't make a third one after that would be kind of startling well and i think also kind of notable this is the last oh, near universally praised version of batman or portrayal of batman or anything connected uh, to the DC universe. Pretty much. No, definitely. Pretty much. <laughs> at least on the on the big screen. Yes. Um, yeah. I think we will look back on this as the peak of Batman on the silver screen. But yeah. I mean, whether you whether someone agrees or disagrees with that, I don't think. I think objectively, it will never reach a higher peak. Than oh this. yeah, there's, there is not. You know, there are not better Batman films than these these two that Nolan made. And, um, at all, it's not even close. If we're ranking these at the end of the day, there should almost we should almost invent our own Batman films to occupy spots between these two and the others. Yeah, well, Dark Knight Rises is the third. But I think what I'm trying to say is just that, in terms of that, even more so than begins, this is the peak in terms of it is popular, it is beloved, yeah, yeah like the cultural penetration this achieved yeah. is insane. While at the same time being beloved. Yeah. Um, near universally, I don't like it. Will never, yeah, it will yeah. never be higher than this. It will we, never. We talked about it at the beginning, but I, I can't think of anything that was like that penetrated culture this much and was this beloved. Like there are there are popular films, there are films that do well, but nothing that is like as much of both as this. Yeah. And while I don't think any serious film buff would call this the movie of uh, the century in terms of it being the best movie. I don't think any movies made the impact that this one has in this century. No, not at all. For a while, um, I said it was my favorite film of of post two thousand, but that's not true anymore. But also, yeah, like it, it's. I think it's the most important film in decades. Yeah, and not not just like it has this like powerful message that the world must see, but more just in that it balances 
critical acclaim, yeah. cultural penetration, box office success in yeah. a way that is nearly impossible for a it's, film to achieve. It's it's big, it's expensive, it's a blockbuster, it's good, it did well, it has a legacy, and it yes. ruined other films because they attempted to copy it. Yes. That, that's all you're looking for. <laughs> um, oddly enough, uh, it inspired... Uh, I don't think Christopher Nolan intended to inspire copycats, uh, Matthew. No. Um, it's not what I meant when I meant to insp- when he meant to inspire people. But uh, <laughs> copycats is what they got, and they're all fucking wearing hockey pads, and they all fucking suck. <laughs> What's the difference between you and me? End podcast episode, right there. Do it. <laughs>